You are listening to a special episode of the Bondzilla Podcast. This week, we take a deep dive into everything James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, to another deep dive of the Bondzilla podcast. I am Nick. And I am Will, ready to strap in with my scuba gear as we dive deep yet again on another James Bond topic. Yes. <gasps> Come on. What's the topic? <laughs> Hold my breath. I'm not you suffer. No. <laughs> it's like this would be like the first random podcast where like somebody dies on mic. <laughs> the snuff podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Well, we do have a topic today. Yes. And uh, it's gonna kind of be uh, a little bit more in it all over the place, a little bit more generalized. But what I kind of wanted to do was explore uh, the wider kind of pop culture nature of James Bond in terms of kind of the spinoffs and merchandise and video games just kind of the the other kind of out there aspects of bond history right uh that kind of contribute to bond being that kind of all-around pop culture icon james bond in pop culture in other media james uh, bond in other media and it, and, it, and i think it's like the good jumping off point because i think for the first time in the podcast we have actually looked at a with our last episode with austin powers we looked at a p- piece of entertainment that was the first one after the um the Bond movies that we had watched. It's the first thing that we tackled where it's like something that was like uh inspired by all of that material where our first couple films are more of just like behind the scenes adjacent. Yeah. This movie Austin Powers was more of like, oh, this is how Bond has influenced other media. So I think that's a good jumping off point into talking about how it has fit in as a pop culture icon. Indeed. Um so because as we have mentioned many times on the show is that we have what 20, 25 going on 26 movies now or tw- going on 27 movies well we, we, we have we, 25 canon and two non-canon so 20 like so we're going on our 27th bond like or movie based on James Bond right right so and uh and and what's interesting and then another thing that's good to mention as we're leading into this is that it is in the unique position in which its origins were in the literary um and which you know there was like all like the Ian Fleming novels and everything that adapted into its way into the James Bond character we know now so it is one of those things where then it just expanded more into other media other material and then all of pop culture in general yep I agree yeah that's why we're doing this episode yeah and um so anyway so next week on (laughs) on the show yeah (laughs) it is a thing that has many that has many arms james bond has his has his hand in many cookie and many a cookie jar in pop culture yeah yeah so where so what do we so uh what shall we we what shall we touch on first I think we'll go with the most expansive topic first, uh, just because it'll take up a bigger chunk of the episode in that Bond, Bond's video game legacy, which actually tends to be a little bit larger in some respects than people would mm-hmm. expect it to be. Um, so basically, we're my plan was we we're going to go over the video games, we we're going to go over uh, spinoff cartoons, 
some comics and some merchandise aspects, and then just talk about kind of the wider breadth of what we know about James Bond in that wider pop culture world. Does mm-hmm. that sound good to you? No. Okay. But there's nothing we can do about it. Okay. I'm just kidding. It sounds like a great plan, a little table of contents for the listeners. Um, I'm not doing time codes, though. Yeah. Not one of those. Even though I'm kind of like always one of those guys, like I'm like put the time code in the in the in the description, so I know where to go. So I'm not even paying attention to my own desires. Yeah, but you know, I appreciate it. Consumer, time code, but con- I don't need it. Yeah, consumer versus creator. I, I can see the 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 distinction. There I also in this think case. that our devoted fan base has gotten on long enough without time codes. Yeah, I don't think we need this. You don't need to know. Like the switcheroo happens midway through, and mm-hmm. that's all you need to know. All right, so so video games, yes, video games. So, uh, our first James Bond video game, all the way back in 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a video game for it was a text adventure for oh, Jesus the uh, ZX Spectrum called Shaken but Not Stirred. Okay, uh, and basically the plot was you were James Bond, and there was a villain named Doctor Death. Uh, mm-hmm. Who had stolen a nuclear bomb, and mm-hmm. you just basically had to go find it. And you would go, you could go to Q, you could go to M, and you know, just basically kind of, you know, have to type in your text like "go here, go left," you know, mm-hmm. gun, whatever it may right, be. Right, right, right. So, so Bond video games started off very, very simplistically. Um, what was, was this for? Like, what was it on? It the, was just on the PC. ZX, yeah, basically what we call the the ZX Spectrum, which is basically a early gaming computer okay basically in that realm of you know commodore 64 uh-huh. and, and you know like original kind of the original pc gaming right or, uh because back then like you know you had like specific pcs you would get for gaming mm-hmm. and then they kind of evolved to being like pcs that were built for gaming but you could also use them as pcs but, right you know computers back then were so very different and then and then what year was this this, this was 1982 this was 1982 so, so this would have been in context for this would have been bond right movies. around um the uh you for uh, yeah for your eyes only mm-hmm. into octopussy so okay. basically within that kind of realm so what's what's interesting about this because and i think we have kind of briefly have talked about this in terms of merchandising mm-hmm. and everything and like i said it, it already has its roots in being novels and now it's films but james bond notoriously doesn't quite have the same pop culture merchandising life uh that let's say just in comparison that godzilla has and mm-hmm. i would say that godzilla has kind of more even recently exploded in terms of being a big marketing uh, or sorry, merchandising push, like with yeah. new figures being released, multiple different companies like getting licenses to do different types of figures and everything, and um, and even just like third party like statues and busts and just a lot of different merchandising rights being like distributed all over the place to give uh, good pieces of home memorabilia for Bond to go. And um, and then also that ex- uh, extends to, you know, there being a lot of Godzilla games, a lot of Godzilla comics, a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Bond, on the other hand, is much, as we have talked about both off and on, Mike, is not quite the same way in which the merchandising is 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 very either niche or very for a per, very particular yeah. type of audience. We'll talk about it, but I think there's definitely been an up and down history with the the Bond merchandise. Right, right. So the reason I bring that up though is like so this is an example of uh what has led to like if if you know just like anything that has led to the actual even the fact that there is a t- 
not a tie-in Bond game, but like that they're going to be like, oh, is it like a James Bond? We're going to make essentially the first James Bond well, video game. Well, the thing about it is also within this era of gaming, this was very, very, very early on when gaming was really like a very, very niche product. So there were definitely adaptations of, of specific game genres. There's like, you know, an infamous like Commodore 64, Big Trouble in Little China game and just stuff like that. Uh, and obviously as games got bigger, those licenses get more and more, but this really seems like it was a case of just like, oh, sure, this seems like fine. You know, it was right. basically like thrown out there because also to the game's credit, um, it very much is kind of James Bond. Like when you look more into it, it's more James Bond in kind of name only, mm. uh, more so. Like it does use the aspects of the character, uses M and Q. Mm. Oh, I see. But I then see. it also basically is like, there's like uh, you have to fight Paws, which is a steel-fisted villain, and, <laughs> and Tic Tac instead of Nick Nack. So it's like an official right. game, but it's also very much like well, they're kind of basically not doing anything specific. They're just kind of taking general aspects of. Now, would that have been a thing? Where is that like, like how much of a tie-in and work around, like work with the actual, like you know, the people who own the actual rights to Bond? Because there's a part of me that realizes that at this point. You know, it's not like now where it's like licensing and merchandising for, you know, in, in terms of putting it into other properties and video games and mediums. It's a much different game now than I would assume it was back then. As you said, it's like video gaming back then is not normal. Yeah. It's not where it was now. Yeah. So, like, how much is it kind of just one of those, back, like, just throw away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just do the tie in, whatever. Like, back back then, yeah, zero. Yeah. Because, like, nobody really knew about video Like, people maybe, you know, this is again around that era where. You know, arcades might have been a thing, you know, and like you're getting you're getting close to that era where it's like you get Pac, you know, Pac-Man and Mario and Donkey Kong and all that sort of stuff, and that's when that real first video game boom hits. Mm-hmm. But like for stuff like the ZX Spectrum and the Commodore 64, like home consoles, like none of these film studios knew what this was. Mm-hmm. They're basically right. like, this is an opportunity to reach our brand, right? And especially because like that Shake and Stir, that first game was made by a very small company very very small company right. and just kind of like okay well we're, we're just gonna do this but that was also what gaming was at the time it was basically like a bunch of small companies just like kind of doing it for the passion of it mm-hmm. you know because really no, like this was kind of like a new media this was kind of like you know like early television or early film where it's like we really don't know what the genre holds and you got to think about like those early kind of you know um, this is like you know the worst of the worst examples like you know the original like et atari game or right, like, or like right. basically that's what home consoles were at the time they were very simplistic action games and, mm. and and platforming games and this was just a text adventure this was literally like typing in commands and stuff like that so. well it is funny because there is a sense of because it was it's such a new um, idea that you know this whole like oh yeah well you know license out or like allow this company to do this electronic game with bond but you know we haven't seen a lot of it's not like you know they were using the property and like plastering it all over like pepsi cans and stuff like that so it is one of those things where it's like I, it, video games at the time were in this very unique position as not even being taken seriously as something that like could potentially be good as much as it's like uh, oh yeah, just that's just like a little kind of like extension of the brand that's very harmless and cute and whatever. But you, it's yeah. like, but at the same time, you don't see them, you know, giving out like the lightness and the in the marketing and merchandising to yeah. other other things. Right. Yeah. So that's that first one, very simplistic. Uh, the the first true 
real merchandising adaptation tie-in video game mm-hmm. was for View to a Kill mm. in 1980, uh, it would have been 1985. And the thing about this one is that there were two video game versions of View to a Kill. There mm-hmm. was another basic test text adventure, mm. which sold very well uh, to the point, uh, sold well enough that the same company ended up making a Goldfinger one the next year. Uh, which again kind of ties into that previous Bond, you know, the history aspect of it. Well, there was also a action game that featured three scenes from the movie. Oh, uh, cool. you could play the Eiffel Tower sequence, you could play uh, the City Hall on Fire sequence, or the mine <laughs> sequence. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And basically, kind of again that very simplistic graphics. Um, that kind of, you know, like, again, the comparison to, like, those early Atari games were just very simplistic renderings of, like, oh, here in a mine and you can't step on, like, the mine mm-hmm. stuff and stuff. Right, like right, that. right. But again, the very simple, but this was what the beginnings of video game stuff was. And it's very interesting to see Bond being one of those early types of, you know, tie-in type of games because they're really, 85 was probably when the video game boom was really hitting. So to see Bond and Eon be kind of more early adapters of it in terms of actually adapting one of their movies to that kind of system is very interesting to see, uh, especially considering that the continued legacy of Bond and video games, which, which would be beginnings of a very successful legacy of, of games. Uh, there's also a Living Daylights game uh, that is very, uh, very much a platform shooter in the style of like a kind of like very early platformers like pre Mario Brothers platformers where you're just kind of going side to side and shooting things as you go uh very much not um that's the type of game whereas View to Kill was very much like here's specific scenarios from the movie the Living Daylights game was one of those games that was very much more like okay well we're putting this guy kind of looks like James Bond and this guy kind of looks like a guy you would shoot mm-hmm. it's very like not very specific to the movie right uh now, the next year, there's a very interesting game that comes out, and it's called Live and Let Die. Mm-hmm. And this game was a racing game okay, in which you were on a speedboat, and you were racing another speedboat uh-huh. as James Bond. And this one was literally like a guy was making a speedboat game, and his boss like, oh, that kind of looks like Live and Let Die. Do you think we can get the rights to that? Oh, and then I see. Eon's like, sure, why not? Because, you know thinking about like this is trying them the modernized bond this is that era where you know it's in the middle of the dalton movies they're making license to kill and there's that kind of continued like well if we can put our legacy out there you know why not do so mm-hmm. and so kind of being like well live and let die you know that was a movie that we made once yeah go ahead put a name on it but again it's kind of more wild west in terms of the licensing it's like mm-hmm. that's a thing where it's like hey this kind of looks like live and let die Maybe we should call it Live and Let Die, which is basically like you could just do that. You right. know, not one company owned your thing. You were kind of going around to different places. Uh, similar games came out to uh, that as well. Um, there was a uh, Spy Who Loved Me game that took place in the Lotus when you were underwater. Um, there was a License to Kill game. Uh, and then we will talk about it later. Um, there was a game based on the James Bond Jr. cartoon show. Okay. Um, but this was kind of that dead period for Bond now where there's legal tangle-ups and you know, we don't know if Dalton's coming back and we don't know about this nanomachine script. And uh, we- and it's also at a, t- at a time period where even the Bond 
brand and franchise has now established itself as something that could be longer lasting and something that um because like with the more movies is like the thing when it's like oh bond as like a character and as a franchise has essentially been revived yes so there's probably like this level of like at least with like the rights and looking at the character and brand of it that there's a little bit more of a careful eye on it as well uh but there is one interesting game within this bond dead period and that is 007 The Duel, uh, which came out in 1993 uh, for the Sega Genesis. Uh, and it was a shooter where Bond had to rescue female hostages from famous Bond villains, uh, including Jaws and Oddjob. What's interesting about this game is that it's technically the last appearance of timothy dalton's bond Mm. because again he was still technically signed to the contract they couldn't make the movie but dalton's likeness is used on the box art as well as in the opening cutscenes for the movie okay for the for the game uh and it's kind of an original type of story nothing very deep or anything like that but uh it was just kind of an interesting note that within this world of you know the movie rights being not used that Dalton was still kind of the face of this franchise, even if they really couldn't do anything with that. So in 93, you know, a year before he really leaves, year or two before he leaves the franchise for good, that they're still like, here's Dalton as Bond, and here's a game based on Bond, um, which is one of the few Bond-related things that comes from between 1989 and 1995 when GoldenEye comes out. Right. Speaking of GoldenEye... That yes. is our next milestone game, and that is one of the one of the big ones. So before we get into that, just like kind of talking about that first era yeah. of like Bond games, because a lot of it just seemed like, all right, this is like your standard. Your, this is your racer. This is your shooter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is everything, and it almost seems like at this point, Bond has just become like you know. I think it's like it's popular enough that you could sell a game on this yeah. being like, oh yeah, play like the James Bond thing where you get to be. James Bond, but it it is kind of seemingly at this level of just vagary, like you can just plug in the name into kind of whatever concept as long as it vaguely fits into what he does. And I think the other thing about this to consider uh, in terms of video game history is that in between, you know, License to Kill and uh, Goldeneye coming out as movies... That was when, you know, we had already gone through the first video game crash Mm -hmm. uh, when, you know, basically late 80s into... Now we're in the second video game boom. This mm. is when the Super Nintendo Nintendo Entertainment right. System and the Sega Genesis and the Master System. But basically, this is when like the essentially the modern video game market is born. So we've gone from a little bit of like the you know the early eighties, mid eighties of that Wild West, just like bunch of small companies making things for computer systems and Atari, to the point where licensed games are now a big deal. When there is, like, you know, Super Nintendo's coming out and there's big, like, you know, people still remember DuckTales and the Aladdin game and Lion King. And same thing for, you know, people still remember, you know, the weird RoboCop game. or right. Like, this is a time where, oh, man, like, licensing games can actually make it have a big effect. And some of these games would go on to be very big sellers yeah. within these markets. So now it's a whole new world for, you know video movie companies and tv show like you know licensors licensing out their video games mm-hmm. and that includes eon right uh, it, but it, it's also what's interesting about it is like it's super early in the stages of where 
you know, nobody would definitely can it would would consider video games to be like an art form mm-hmm. or like even quite frankly a legitimate form of entertainment, just kind of like a more of a disposable form of entertainment. Yeah. So it, it's almost like in this brief period where it's like when you look at all the examples that you said, whether it's like Bond or like The Lion King, like video games and all those little side scrollers, there's this little sense of like it didn't even kind of achieve that you know, people looking cynically, at least in my experience of it, not looking cynically as it is like, oh, this is like a cash grab, cash in for like this game. It was just like something like, oh yeah, video games are fun. And like, don't you want to play as James Bond? Yeah. So it's like, if there was a James Bond game, you're like, yeah, sure. Like, so it, it is funny that the attitude of it wasn't as much like, if you were to do that now, and then I'm sure we'll talk about this after GoldenEye about where video game tie in or movie yeah. tie-in video games are now but it, there was that period where it didn't seem like that was as much of a thing and i think that was had to do with the feeling of what the video game what the nature of video games were and how it fit into entertainment yes. at the time yeah so this uh that is a good lead-in mm-hmm. to the 97 video game yes golden Knight 007 yes uh so the, the era of which is the definitely the most known and beloved yes, James Bond 100%. game. And not only that, it and we mentioned this a little bit on the Goldeneye episode, but we're going to go into a deeper dive about it. But this legitimately is one of the most beloved video games of all time, and it is on many lists of one of the greatest first-person shooters ever made. I have a confession to make. Yeah. Never played it. It's a good game. I've never played Goldeneye. Like I, it was I had, funny because it is one of those... It is one of those, like, if you grew up in the Nintendo 64 era, like, everybody talked about it. I've seen it played, and I've seen all, like, the cheat codes and how to get, like, Oddjob's hat and how to get the actual golden gun and things like that and all the workarounds about how the maps work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was too busy always playing Smash Brothers that I never um, actually, like, got into playing Goldeneye. Yes. Yeah, so it's, like, it, it's one of those things where... but. It does go to show about, like, if you're into video game, how much Bond had permeated that as, to this day, it it is considered, like, one of, like, the games that people, like, go back and, like, want to do, like, um, what do you call it? Not mods, but, is it mods? Like, yeah, yeah, like, like people creating mods of it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's also, ports is the, I think that's what I was thinking of, uh, like, ports ports as well, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is something we'll get to as well, but, uh, but it's also, again, a very influential game, and we'll get to that in a second, but. To talk about the development of that game for a little bit, what's very interesting about the development of GoldenEye, uh, which is developed by Rare mm-hmm. uh, for the Nintendo exclusively for the Nintendo 64, is that it was a Nintendo idea. Yeah. Uh, that Nintendo and Rare uh, had the idea in '94. They knew this GoldenEye movie was coming out. Rare was a British development company, mm-hmm. uh, and Nintendo was looking for ways to boost up um, their their system as in comparison to the PlayStation at the time, which was, you know, their big rival. Um, and to an extent, the Saturn, but not as the Sega Saturn, but not as much. <laughs> um, but what's interesting, because within this era, and this is something that's come out recently in recent years, but Nintendo was also looking at purchasing the game rights uh, for um, Harry Potter, even before any movies were in development. That when the books came out, they were very much like, we'll just buy the rights and like Miyamoto and all those guys will develop the game for Harry Potter. Obviously, that didn't work out, but GoldenEye was one that worked out in that Rare went to Eon to pitch like we're a British company. We've had this success with the Donkey Kong Country games and, you know, we were trying to develop for Nintendo 64 and we were very interested in this. And um, Eon said, sure, again, this, again, this is their big Bond comeback and now 
licensing video games was a big deal. Right. So having mm-hmm. an official video game tie-in would be a big deal for them. Uh, so they basically were like, we like Rare. We don't mind it being just a Nintendo system. It kind of gives it that kind of era of exclusivity. Let's do it. Uh, so what's interesting about the development of the game is that their first instinct was to um, do it as a Donkey Kong type of game, like a 2D side-scroller you know, platformer mm. uh, type of deal. Um, but at the same time, one of the uh, co-creators and co-programmers of Killer Instinct, the fighting game, was developing a separate project, uh, just a testing of a first-person shooter for the Nintendo 64 called Ultra 64, codenamed. And they decided that that sort of system would be a much better fit. Mm. Uh, so basically, they made a big design document um, and uh, basically said that they wanted to do many things that would become very influential in the game in terms of uh, the artificial intelligence of the, the enemies and the how the AI reacts to the player, the control scheme, uh, which ends up becoming a huge deal because at this time, uh, first-person shooters on consoles were very much not a thing. Mm. You maybe had one, like, you know, first-person shooters were a very PC thing because right. you had the mouse and you had the keyboard and people were like, well, on a, you know, on a console, you don't have that free range of motion of the mouse right. to, like, aim where you need to aim. Yeah. So it's going to be difficult. And especially, like, you know, they've said that on a console, but notoriously, even for the Nintendo 64, which people have said, even though there's kind of, like, a love for it, yeah. it, it is kind of, like, that slightly awkward design, mm-hmm. especially for a first-person yes. shooter. Yes, um, and there had been attempts like Doom 64 has some nostalgia but wasn't successful upon release. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some first-person shooters on the PlayStation that also didn't do too well, so people really thought that that first-person shooters were going to be a PC thing. Yeah. But the GoldenEye team developed a control scheme that they thought was comfortable, that they thought would work for um, the player, and it does become a very big deal because GoldenEye 64, GoldenEye 007 as it's known as, was very much proof that first-person shooters could work mm. on the system, not just on the Nintendo 64, but on consoles at all. Because uh, this was also before um, that the uh, PlayStation really took advantage of its dual sticks mm-hmm. um, as well, because that's something that would not really come to full effect um, with the system until a little bit later into its life cycle. Uh, so basically, the Nintendo 64 getting the jump on that was a big deal. Um, and the obviously Rare being um, a British company, they worked very much to kind of really capture the tone of Bond and, mm. and mm-hmm. to capture the characters of the movie. Um, and obviously also Rare had to expand upon the movie and added missions before the events of the movie and, and in the middle of the movie. Uh, that really kind of took the game. As so, well. is, so in terms of the game itself, though, like, like, what is it? Because I think ultimately the legacy of this game is one of those like you had people, you had your your buddies come over every night, and then you played a, the multiplayer of it. Yeah. So, like that, that's kind of like the big draw of 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 the legacy of it. Yes. Is like these kind of like little in your basement, in your attic, video game parties. Yeah. So it, it has a couple of of legacies in terms of its direction. I mean. Mm-hmm. People remember it for its multiplayer, um, which famously was added three weeks before the game was went gold. Oh, really? Yes. This I did not know. Yeah, so uh, the multiplayer was a very last-minute addition to the game, um, and there were basically 
quick little aspects of um uh of the move of the games the the level design of those multiplayer levels being very simplistic uh, they were able to secure a lot of programming rights to uh, or license rights to bond characters very quickly for that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them they had already uh, gotten for the bonus missions of the game, which again were very bond influenced. You had a Moonraker based one, you had a you had one that had included Baron Samadhi and everything like that. So there was already that kind of history, and you already had aspects of Jaws. Again, infamously, they wanted to. Uh, include all the previous bonds, so you would have been able to play as Connery, Moore, Dalton, or oh, sorry, they did skip over Lazenby. I will be a bunch of the the four major bonds of, right. of Connery, Moore, uh, Dalton, and Brosnan, but they were unable to secure the rights to anybody but Brosnan. Mm-hmm. Now you can still like hack into the game and get those, but basically, um, it's also the reason why that multiplayer character list is kind of weirdly put together because you have like Odd Job Jaws. Um, you know, I think Hollywood has in there too. But then you have like Moonraker Person One and and Temple Guard One, and it's right. basically like a bunch of kind of random nonsense characters, as well as like a lot of those. If you really look at the design, a lot of those levels they're very simplistically put together, right? But right. using assets of other aspects of the game, right? Right. Um, because that was always one of the things I think that led to like a lot of people knowing the map so specifically yes. because they're not that complicated mm-hmm. to figure out. Yes. Um. Yeah. So basically that but the but it's not to discount the single player aspect of that game. It is very much like uh, people really credit the level design uh as being really interesting, the missions being very specific uh that the, it matches up with the movie but does expand upon it giving players more to do than just what the movie does. Uh as well as again um as I mentioned before the the artificial intelligence and how uh, characters react to you, you know, and you do get more, you know, because this is also a little bit in that same realm, but like even right before Metal Gear Solid, where that tactical sneaker, um, you know, was big, but the, the AI in, in Goldeneye being like, you know, how enemies react to you running in versus running you sneaking in, and the, that different aspect of the game and, and how you could play the game in many different ways was very much like a big part of its legacy and people really do respect it in both terms mm-hmm. uh, that it's kind of most known for its multiplayer, uh, especially within, uh, you know, our era of growing up in that aspect of like come over, play some golden eye or Mario party or whatever it may be. Golden eye was among those games that people would say, come over and play. But at the same time, there is a very much a legacy of, you know, being a fantastic multi, you know, single player experience because this is, not to you know bury a lead here, but this is rare. We're talking about at like their height. You know, this is still the rare that that you know that core team that made those Donkey Kong Country games. Mm-hmm. It's making Banjo Kazooie at this time mm-hmm. and Donkey Kong sixty four, which eventually goes to conquer bad fur conquers bad fur there as well. Like this is like they and Perfect Dark, which was um because Perfect Dark comes about basically because they couldn't get the rights to do Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm. They couldn't do another bond game so they took a lot of what they learned even what they learned in uh goldeneye and proved upon it for perfect dark uh and stuff like that so this is like a team at its height and so they're basically making a really good game mm-hmm. and it's very distinctive and and it's, again still very memorable for its era and yeah. even one that i own i have goldeneye you know 007 i didn't own it as a kid actually i bought it 
from a friend years later and I fell in love with the game myself and I'm not a big first person shooter fan but there's just something about the tone and uh, Grant Kirkhope who did all those Nintendo 64 rare scores has an iconic score he is somehow able to use the 64's you know music memory to capture the distinctive drums and sounds of your actual score from the movie, but make it his own Kirkhope score. And Kirkhope's an amazing composer. What What is it about the actual game and the multiplayer and, any, and everything? Because it is one of those things where people look at it and seem to consider it as as a fairly well-designed multiplayer game. Like Because video games kind of have that weird thing where even nostalgia only goes but so far. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of like, I mean, if it's like really bad gameplay, then it's it's not yeah. going to hold up for a lot of people. But this is something that people like go back and like actually revisit and still want to play with yeah. each other. So it's like, is it le- legitimately, I mean, you know, for lack of a better term, is it really that good in terms of like, or does it hold up within that there, within the community of gamers? And it such? does hold up among its 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 folks. I think in two regards. In it's a very big speed run game, if mm-hmm. you know that community, and it's also still very big. Still, people go back to it and as a multiplayer game. And I think really the reason is is the ease of control, the ease of just kind of fooling around in it. Mm. Um, like I am not a first person shooter guy, but I think. There's a, like, an aspect of the multiplayer that's very underrated is the amount of modes mm. that you can do and unlock, and especially it. nowadays where you can put in cheat codes to easily get all the modes. I mean, nothing beats like uh, my my crew when we played it. Our and, and this was a go-to for many folks, but license to kill, which was one-hit kills, slappers only, which was just you had you're basically your hand. And it right. Slap back N- that, and that was one thing I, I remember. And, yeah. and basically it's just like you're, and then that was always so fun because you would just, you know, slap and slap and you know, you were and it also like, looked ridiculous it too. It looked ridiculous. Especially like when you saw like, if your character saw two other players doing it, it was, it was pretty I amazing. I mean, and there's like the aspects, like just the memories of the game, like people, you know, odd job had his hat. You could, if you had right. odd job, he was short and you had his hat and people would say it wasn't fair, but then you also had other stuff. Um, what were some of the other specialties that other characters could do? Because that's the only one I know is that Odd Job had. That's to the hat. only one specifically. Okay. Um, I, as far as I know, um, that's the only one that I know of. Um, but like, there's other like classic. Like, there is the man with the golden gun mode, right. mm-hmm. where um, the the golden gun is unlockable in the game as a weapon, and it is one hit kills. Like, right. even without one hit mm-hmm. kills. So, in the man with the golden gun mode there's one golden gun around and obviously there's other regular weapons and the regular weapons do their regular damage. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, the golden gun is one hit kills. And so if you get the golden gun, you have that advantage. Um, but there's also like, you only live twice. And like, that was also the fun thing about the game, especially rediscovering it recently as a bond fan is even the multiplayer mode, it was quickly as it was put together. There's so much respect for the bond and in use of those licenses, uh, and then titles and stuff like that. But even like, I think it's also like there's just a nice balance of how to play the game that I think there is an ease of a newbie, you know, can get into it. Right. And and, and it's a good – it is still – I mean, I think other first-person shooters obviously as as first – this genre of first-person shooter has only grown since GoldenEye. And GoldenEye is one of those milestones that would eventually lead to – the types of games like Call of Duty and you know, um, you know, Halo and everything like that, like, like the path of the first-person shooter as one of the biggest video games genres goes through GoldenEye and GoldenEye being as popular as it was, and in fact, GoldenEye was one of the most successful games mm-hmm. on the 
on the Nintendo 64. Um, it's right up there in sales actually with like Mario Kart. It's like right up in that top ten area area of sales for the Nintendo 64. Um, and there's uh, just the reviews at the time I'm looking at now. There was there was a lot of um, love for the depth of the gameplay and and the focus on stealth, mm. um, which again was very different than even other first-person shooters at the time. Like, again, you think of the other first-person shooters, like the id Software stuff, like Doom and Castle Wolfenstein. All those games were very much like run and gun, get in there and shoot and shoot and shoot. Right, right. Whereas GoldenEye was very much a game of, you know, finding your weapons and, you know, hiding behind walls and stuff. And again, right right in the same era is, there were just a couple years removed, or a couple years before Metal Gear Solid comes out, and that's a third-person stealth game, but very much similar aspects of it. Um, but also they did, you know, not only that people like the stealth, but they did like the flurry of the action. If you did get in the shootouts, that it was still fun. Right, right. Uh, and that aspect of it. Well, it, the two things I would say about the game overall yeah. that that's fascinating uh, in terms of its legacy and what it speaks about the Bond legacy mm-hmm. is twofold because it has not it has stood out as one of the I would argue, and then we're we're gonna mention one or two like a couple other ones, but it it does stand out as the one piece of entertainment that's non movie and non book. I think as probably one of the most infamous other like Bond and other media things. Yes, like I, I know that there's other things, but this stands out as one of the other big media's that Bond has transferred into that everybody has always talked about or that has stood the test of time. And that and that's no easy feat. That not only is it it's a video game tie-in because as we and I think we should mention real quick, video game tie-ins have a pretty rocky history. Yeah. Well, and and yeah. It, to the point that you really honestly don't see them there quite as much yeah. anymore. Like yeah. what when's the last video well, th- like major Right like, now one? a lot of those are mobile games and like because the whole thing about the history of video game tie-ins and what makes Goldeneye so different is the thing about video game tie-ins is a lot of them are made very quickly because you have to match it up with the movie's right, yeah. opening. The big difference with GoldenEye uh, in that regard is that GoldenEye comes out in 97, two years after um, GoldenEye, the movie comes out in the same year as Tomorrow Never Dies. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, Eon afforded Rare, you know, they didn't, like, rush him out for the match in 95, the movie. They afforded Rare the time to just make the game they needed to make. Mm-hmm. Which but, is, which but is that's where actually a lot of- pretty smart, though, because instead of it just being a tie-in for the new movie, it, the tie-in... That they're that they're also promoting is based off of this other movie that you've already liked. So you like think about it like you're kind of going in. And you're like, oh, I like Goldeneye. I know there's a new Bond movie coming out, but this game is based off of that movie that I already know that I liked. As opposed to like this tie-in thing where it's like, oh, it's this new thing. You don't know whether it's going to work or not, but you give everybody like the the familiar when the new thing is about to come out. It's a pretty good marketing uh, technique. Uh, so some other quick facts about the game. Uh, GoldenEye 64 was one of the first games ever to have differences in damage based on body parts. Oh, that, oh yeah, that characters. Cool. Uh, you know, this was the first time that you could, if you headshot someone, they were basically killed inst- instantly. Um, it's still regarded as, and many people would put it on the list of the best movie adaption game ever made mm-hmm, right. uh, it won many awards the first year that it came out including the bafta interactive award for best game of the year mm. uh and a couple other awards in other uh, stuff and it was selected as one of 80 titles to be put in the smithsonian's 
uh, art museum's video game exhibit mm. in uh, 2011. Interesting. And it's still, again, still very much a well-regarded game uh, to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, to this day, it stands out on its own medium, but it also stands out as probably the prime example of Bond going into another medium. And I think uh, that's, that's a good uh, one-two punch. So then we, uh, and yeah, and it's still, I mean, people would put it up in easily top 10 lists of yes. Nintendo 64 games. Oh, yeah, made. yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so from there, uh, there is an attempt by Rare to to get the license for another game. Uh, but MGM, in its big reintroduction to the world and its big stock exchange, made, makes a exclusive arrangement with Electronic Arts, mm. EA Games. Uh, to make movies based on, um, you know, Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they also have, they make a, you know, the requisite Tomorrow Never Dies and Will Not Enough games that try to capture aspects of, you know, what made GoldenEye successful, but a little bit more modernized uh, to those eras. Um, but after those first two adaptations, uh, EA decides to go in a different direction. So uh, in 2000, they released The World Is Not Enough game, as well as 007 Racing, which was a racing game um, featuring 007 characters. And I only mention this one uh, because it's one of the few Bond things uh, post Timothy Dalton to include the villain of the Living Daylights, Yorgi. Right, uh, Yorgi. So I'm very happy that that was in the game. Uh, also, I think a modern day, like if you really went ham hog on a modern day Bond racer with all the cars, and you can like select your character, like kind of make it F zero where you select your character, like mm, it's Bond character. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, Francisco Scaramanga is also in the 007 racing. But where EA decides to take the games is to start making original stories. Right. Uh, yeah. So, this is a, I know about this stuff. Uh, so uh, there is a trilogy of original EA games. Uh, there is James Bond, Agent Under Fire, mm-hmm. James Bond, Night uh, Nightfire, uh, which is the direct sequel to Agent Under Fire, and then James Bond, Everything or Nothing. Uh, so the first two games are basically just original stories. They use the Pierce Brosnan likeness for those games, um, uh, but Pierce Brosnan does not voice it, and it's basically otherwise original character models, original storytelling uh, for those games, but... What's very interesting about the third one is uh, Everything or Nothing, which is a reference to the rumored reason for Eon's name. Mm. Uh, Eon being people originally thought it meant Everything or Nothing. It's just Eon was just Eon. That's funny. Um, But there's two things that are very interesting about this game. One is that it stars Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, but this game came out in 2004. Two years after his last movie, Die Another Day, and two years... And this is voice and all, like... uh, If I believe so, let me let me just double-check that. Well, because the previous games you said used his likeness. Yes. Yes. So this is, like, him, like, doing the performance and everything. It's him doing a performance. This is two years after he's left the Eon Bond role. Right. uh, As they're starting to search for stuff for Casino Royale. Um, But what's very interesting about this game is, like, unlike the other two... They have a full Hollywood cast. Right, yes. Um, this is the one with Willem Dafoe, yes. correct? Yes, okay, I do know this one. So, uh, so basically, Pierce Brosnan voices James Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judy Dench voices M. John Cleese voices Q. Uh, Jaws returns for this game as well, uh, mm-hmm. with, the, with the likeness of uh, Richard Keel coming back to the character. But then we do have a couple of Hollywood names, 
as a part of our cast. Uh, and this also, inter interestingly enough, takes a little bit of inspiration, not a full readaptation, but a little bit of inspiration from that unused Timothy Thalton nano machine script. Right. Okay. And the fact that nano machines are the big thing. Nano machines, son. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Willem Dafoe is the villain. Uh, he, very interesting about this. Um, he is the game's primary antagonist who is within the nanomachines, like trying to, you know, get these nanomachines to take over the world or some nonsense. But his character is in canon um, mentored by Christopher Walken's character from View to Kill. Oh Kill, my God. Max Zorin. Zorin? Yeah, because remember, Zorin was also was an ex KGB guy, and, and uh, Willem Dafoe's character, Nikolai. Diavolo uh -huh. was also a ex KGB guy, and uh -huh. he was like basically Max Zorin was his was his BFF. Oh my in, god! In the ranks. Okay. Uh, and then our other villain of the movie, okay, is Katya uh, uh, mm -hmm. I don't. That's mad. Uh, who's played by Heidi Klum? Let me see her. Let me see her. Heidi Klum played her. What? Um, Oh, look at this. There are some people in this. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, let's see. Katya Nada, uh, Nada Nova. Yeah. Katya Nada Nova. Uh, so Heidi, Heidi Klum yeah. uh, plays the uh, the scientist who creates the nanomachines, mm -hmm. uh, who is eventually, you know, who's on Bond's side, but then turns. Of course. And, you need that. And need that. And then we also have Shannon Elizabeth. Uh, who is you're gonna you can see coming up in uh, <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob reboot? Yes, uh, or in the original. Oh, that's uh, awesome. But she is the Bond girl of yeah. this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Serena Saint Germain. She is an American geologist uh, and a helicopter pilot. She really is going all over the place. Uh, who helps Bond uh, in Peru uh, to find the nano machines, and then Maya who is that rapper, mm -hmm. uh, sings the title song, Everything or Nothing, which mm -hmm. so there's an original song for this game too. Uh, and she's also another agent who gets Bond. But basically, like, they tried to make it as if, like, this was the next Pierce Brosnan adventure. Mm -hmm. um, but also kind of, again, kind of pricking the Yeah, I mean, and, and, and that. that is pretty, you know, and, and that is, uh, I don't want to say ambitious, but it, it is pretty much more in a creative venue than, like, you know, doing, like, kind of, like, these cheaper like you know like we'll just like keep keep pumping up bond movies because like as we said like post at this pe period of time bond is a straight up franchise that yeah. you know the brand has to be propped propped up every now and then so but there's a little bit of a difference where it's like oh you have a like a cast comeback which i don't know how much well known was that at the time i know like video games actually have a surprising history with having celebrities and hollywood cast within their games in various ways yeah. shapes and form but like where did that fit in and now because the idea of like celebrities being in games is kind of wrote now like it, you know it's not as much of a draw it's like oh sometimes it's fun but like really who cares like at, at yeah. what point in in the in the history of video games was this was kind this of right at that into? point because this is a, for like the gamecube and playstation 2 right and the original mm -hmm. xbox era where um there was still like a novelty of these you know this is kind of more so like because like they they debuted the original Xbox as well as the success of the PlayStation Two are big deals within like getting celebrities into gaming. And obviously, there's examples of that throughout history, mm -hmm. but in terms of getting celebrities like truly involved within games, right. quote unquote. Um, but there was a notoriety because this was like basically like a full Bond movie as a game, sure. Kind of, and this was the. 
that trilogy of Agent Under Fire, Nightfire, and Everything or Nothing was generally well-reviewed, not as iconic as GoldenEye, but still, they were generally well-received games. And there is an aspect of Everything or Nothing that people find it notable and kind of fun for it being kind of full in on the video game mm. thing. Uh, but then after that, now again, Brosnan, you know, his he's obviously done now with the franchise. There's no word on what's next. So EA goes in a very different direction with their next game, a very infamous game within the Bond canon of okay. video games, GoldenEye Rogue Agent. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know about this one? Vaguely. Actually, I, I don't know too much about it. So uh, The name, I, I do know it's a thing that exists. This game does not have James Bond in it. Okay. Uh, and you play as an ex-MI6 agent mm-hmm. who is recruited by one Goldfinger okay. to assassinate his rival, uh-huh. Dr. No. Okay, all right. And along the way, you also get involved with Francisco Scaramanga. What? Xenia Onatop. So this is basically the James Bond rogues gallery game. Yes. Um, and then also Pussy Galore is involved as well. So this would be like if you made a game where it's like, all right, we're going to make a new Batman game. This is the closest example I could give. You're going to make a new Batman game, but you don't play as Batman. You don't play as a Robin. You don't play as Batgirl. You play as Red Hood. Yeah. And the Penguin hires you to take down Black Mask. Mm-hmm. And then also the Joker, the Riddler, Man Bat, Mister Freeze, they and Poison Ivy, they all make appearances. That's kind of like what that game sounds like. Yes, that's such a strange. Uh, I mean, I kind of love it though. Like, so, I kind of love that as a direction. Oh, uh, so, um, you are your code name is Goldeneye, because basically your eye. Was, you have a golden eye. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You doc. You know, you're getting revenge on Doctor No because he caused you to use the lose the the uh, use of your right eye. Mm-hmm, so right. Gold, Goldfinger gives you a golden eye. Right. It calls you golden eye. Um, and it's like a robot eye and it'll let you do robot yes, eye things. Kind of things yeah. Yes. Um, so basically, yeah. So, uh, so um, this whole move, this whole game is very strange. Kind of a, basically like a, you know, a kind of fantasy rogue gallery team up thing mm-hmm. where you're trying to get a weapon called the Omen, uh, and then basically you kind of turn on Goldfinger and stop him, uh, but still are kind of a rogue agent. You're still like not a great guy. Uh, and then the game ends with the reveal that Scaramanga has actually been working for Ernst Stravel Blofeld, <laughs> and that Scaramanga is his number one. In so in game. that case, Blofeld, it was him the whole time. It was, yeah. It, very much. But still, it was one of those things because they didn't have the full rights. It was the implied, like, in the shadows. Right. And, and the I'm thing, sure that it was the cat there. Yeah. I'm sure the cat Kind was of there. more in the realm of what it was in From Russia With Love and, and Thunderball. Yeah. Uh, this was a very infamous game because of its kind of wild plot uh, that just basically took a lot of weird, you know, Characters interacting that you would never think about, but most specifically, it's infamous. It's infamous for people accusing EA of using the Goldeneye name mm, because mm-hmm. of the video game and trying to kind of be like, "Oh, it's the new Goldeneye." Yeah, I really mean, wasn't. but yeah, but at the same time, you can't 
take a new video game and then call it some variation of GoldenEye that up until that point is one of the most famous video games of all time. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can kind of see a lot of people being a little or feeling a little duped by it. Or not even duped. I mean, you could call it, like, the new GoldenEye. But it is weird that you would call GoldenEye. And I mean, does it have a multiplayer? Was there anything? It does, yes. Was 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 there anything in the game that was supposed to be even reminiscent of the old golden eye not the game no. yeah okay well yeah, like only like on the top is working for dr no but basically that's it right okay this is really just someone's weird bond villain fan fiction that right they turn it into like like the the league of yeah, the league of doom of bond villains right essentially i i, I dig it though like I, I if you were to say that that was like a movie or something i'd be into it yeah uh so just to quickly get to the rest so after rogue agent does not hit the shelves as much as they want EA's final game under its deal with MGM and Eon is to go back to the past and adapt from Russia with Love as a video game. And the notable thing about this one is that it does feature the return of Sean Connery to voice his video game version mm, uh, for uh, the, the game. And that one was mildly more successful, but also kind of not a strong ending to the EA relationship. At which point the, um, the rights go to Activision, uh, who make a Quantum of Solace game very much at your that's your more basic like video game adaptation of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, now, interestingly, let me guess, it was probably either first or third person shooter. You run around as a character model of Daniel Craig yep. and you just do generic action things. Things in the movie. Yeah. Um, but then Activision gets a little crazy. They do an, an original Daniel Craig story called 007 Bloodstone. Okay. There's uh, a lot more of these than I actually thought. Yes. No, it's a big history, Will. I'm telling you. Um, so, Bloodstone is an original third-person shooter game uh, that features an original story. At the same time, uh, Activision does do a pseudo-remake of Goldeneye uh, 007, starring Daniel Craig instead of Pierce Brosnan in the role. Then uh, this came about because Nintendo, Microsoft, and Rare were all discussing the possibility of bringing Goldeneye to Nintendo's virtual console on the Wii Um at the time mm-hmm. and the the deal couldn't be made but the idea was well let's just we can remake goldeneye in theory we can remake the movie as a game we'll include daniel craig in the lead role uh and basically shift some things around but try to make kind of the modern equivalent hmm. of goldeneye which turns out to just be call of duty but it's a James Bond game. Oh, I see. Uh, but there is still some re- well regard for that because that's also when Call of Duty was, a, you know, it's still a very big thing, but that was kind of at the height of the Call of Duty type of game and, and Activision's, you know, that was still one of their big money makers at the time. So there was some love for kind of adapting that, but, you know, still not as much love. So the last thing I'm going to talk about, we've talked about video games for a while. The last one I want to talk about is the last Bond game to come out mm-hmm. called uh, from 2012. 007 Legends. So this game was part of the 50th anniversary celebrations of James Bond. And so this game, basically, the idea about it, it's another Daniel Craig starring game. And the idea of it is is that it's supposed to be Craig from between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall going on a Bond mission from each of the other Bonds. Mm, mm. So basically every Bond actor is represented or Bond character movie is represented through Craig doing those movies. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And what and this was for uh this was for uh the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 and Wii. Huh. 
I'd have to go look those up. I like to see those cut scenes and those. Yeah. And those uh, I can. T- I was going to tell you uh, the movies. Okay. Episodes. Yes. Yes. So, I want to hear them. Uh, so basically, this uh, this is explicitly non-canon, and Spectre one hundred percent makes it non-canon. Sure. Um, but we have so basically the game starts at the end of the action sequence at the beginning of Skyfall, mm-hmm. where Bond is shot and he's like dying, and he's reflecting on all these other missions. Oh, so, that's funny. So. Uh, you have uh, the Sean Connery representation, and the first level of the game is Goldfinger. Uh, so it's Craig doing the Goldfinger thing. He finds the dead woman in his room, teams up with Pussy Galore, all that sort of stuff. Okay. Uh, then in the next one uh, is obviously the only movie that could represent him as George Lazenby is Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, wow. Which okay, is where this right. game definitely becomes non-canon because... This does feature Blofeld killing Tracy, and obviously we know from Spectre, right, right, you know that mm-hmm. that would retroactively be be uh, be undone. But basically, it is the whole Aaron Stra- He places Blofeld and marries Tracy and everything like that. Then we get to another reason this is not canon is his Dalton representation is licensed to kill. Okay, uh, so basically he finds the uh, Felix Leiter. Um, which I don't actually know if it's portrayed by Jeffrey Wright. I do not know if it's the likeness. I'm sure it is, but I'm not 100% sure. I, I can't quote me on that. Well, they find Felix Slater maimed, and it's all about um, Sanchez going after Sanchez, like in that movie. Um, then our Brosnan representation is Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seemingly, from what I understand... it Of do- all the movies to choose, yeah. why Die Another Day? Uh, is it the fencing scene? No, it's ah oh, um, boo. It's the uh, I believe it's the ice scene and also the end of the movie. Okay. Um, but it, I do believe, based on the description, at least on Wikipedia, that they get rid of the twist of Gustav Graves being uh, <laughs> another guy. I think it's right, just right, Gustav right. Graves is working with the North Korean extremists. Got it. Got it. Movie. Right. Oh, um, but finally, our final one obviously is Roger Moore. Uh, and I was gonna ask, like, there's no more love. Like, yeah, this uh, the final level of the game is Moonraker. Yes, yes, and it does feature Daniel Craig uh, going into space to kill Drax with Holly Goodhead. Nice, uh, I like it. And then the DLC was the Skyfall. That's such story. a good last mission to like, especially like if you're a Bond fan, and then you're like, what they're gonna do, Moonraker? That's yeah. awesome. Um, so. Uh, and then the last mission is Skyfall through DLC because mm-hmm. the game came out before Skyfall and they didn't want to spoil the movie. Mm, but got then it. You can do Skyfall afterwards. Unfortunately, the game was not very well reviewed. Um, it did not play well, uh, even though it was kind of a very cool concept. Uh, and and it, I would look up some of the like you know the cutscenes. I'm it was, sure it's fun to see it's like how see, like yeah. the Craig likeness at least. I don't think it's him 100% doing the voice work in this one. But it's a good approximation, I would say. Sure. And it's fun to see kind of this Craig being in like a Moonraker type scenario. Oh, it's, yeah. It's yeah, kind yeah. of fun to see that. But that is kind of the last. Like, so it's been now. Uh, that was 2012 when Skyfall came out. So now we've been seven years since the last Bond video game. And it really has the adaptation game has very much changed. Right. Now, it is, it, like if you're thinking about that, like there have been very successful adaptation games. But now we're looking at the Marvel Spider-Mans of the world. Where sure. Basically, like you're going ham hog all in on making this kind of original concept in, in a sure. game and stuff like that. Well, there, there, the, but there is one kind of hurdle for a James Bond adaptation to overcome if it comes to video games in the modern age. 
And that is because it's just a guy doing missions mm-hmm. and going around like shooting people. Yeah. And the thing about that though is like there's not as much of the malleability into making that a good game unless you're going to get like um I don't know like Naughty Dog to do a like an uncharted type game. Like if you yeah. were going to commit to that level of like an yeah. even even if it was an open world game. Yeah. You could like if you gave me an open world Bond game, there there's some potential there, but yeah. you know it has to be much more than like a like a cash in because right now it could be construed as a cash in. Whereas if you have like like the Godzilla franchise, kind of lends itself a little bit more to multiple different types of games. We've had like you know the melee brawlers, we've had like the phones, uh, we, we, the the phone games, we've had like games that are kind of like two D card games and stuff. Yeah, and it, you know it being various different monsters, you always have that you can lean on to like oh it's a big sci fi kind of like multiple monsters mashing with each other. Yeah, Bond doesn't quite have that thing in the mm-hmm. fact that you know as you said that video game movie adaptations of video games is you know, kind of, you know, little in the past now. Like, yeah. even, like, your Spider-Man games is just, like, we're just making a brand-new Spider-Man game. And all the mo- the games that are movies are right. kind of, like, their own, quote-unquote, original concepts. Right, yeah, and it's, like, even, like, what, you know, like, the Marvel stuff is very much, like, well, we're influenced by, like, what's going on in the MCU, but we're not doing, like, here's a Thor Ragnarok game. Sure, doing, sure. Like, here's Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, and like we're like kind of throwing a bunch of characters you know now. Like, even when you think about it, like the Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale game yeah. is very much influenced, is using that movie as a jumping-off yeah. point with its aesthetics, its style, and an approximate version of the characters. Or if you feel like another great example of just a game that is successful for what it is is Dragon Ball Fighters, where it's just like we're taking the Dragon Ball idea... And, like, the Dragon Ball games just kind of, like, retell the originals, the same stories all the time, but also, like, you know, here's a game where we're just going all in on, like, the look and the characters sure. and stuff like that. And I think, like... Do you see... My last question before we move on is, do you see a world in which we are now... We are going to eventually get a James Bond game? And I would say my answer to that real quick is I don't think... Not right now. I foresee that whenever the new era of James yes. Bond begins. That's what I would say. Like, we're definitely not going to get one within the next, like, two or three years. But, like, once the next new era begins, yeah, once- I can definitely see them kind of making a big push and, and doing something original. Especially with the way that, like, games work now. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely think that like that could be, like, a very simple, like, drop set you know, Microsoft's, like, E3 conference. Like, basically one of the weird things in the middle. Sure, that's yeah. That's kind of like, oh, okay, a new a new Bond game. Okay, yeah. like, mm-hmm. I think that could happen. I, I think, I, I definitely think that would, hit, would uh, All right, so be a possibility. We, that was a very lengthy discussion on the video games, but I hope that was interesting enough uh, for you. Uh, but I do want to move on to something we've we've been asked to talk about before, and I'd never really found a great way to branch it in because it's really not, like, like, we could watch it, and we may watch it at some point, but it's not really a thing to really get a deep dive in. But there was, at one point, a James Bond-related animated series. Okay. The 90s animated series. We're talking about uh, James Bond Jr. This I know nothing about. This is one of those projects where I think even in all of my history of knowing James Bond, quite frankly, in all of our history of doing this podcast, uh, it has not come on across on my radar. Yeah. It's weird. Um, so this was based uh, around a kind of uh, nineteen. The original concept of James Bond Jr. 
was based on a 1967 spin-off spoofish novel that was still within the Fleming Estates rights called The Adventures of James Bond Jr. 003 and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the thing about that book is that it was written under a, a pseudonym and we never know we've never known who the actual author is. Okay. It's all we only know the pseudonym. Uh but in the 90s, um 1991 to be uh specific, uh MGM Television and uh Mirkai Wolf Swenson uh who did animated series such as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh Alvin and the Chipmunks, those types of shows. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um they did a they teamed up to do an animated series called James Bond Jr. Mm-hmm. Now, the aspect of this is very interesting is that this was intended to match up with, not match up essentially, but basically 91 was also when that third Dalton movie was supposed to come out. Obviously, again, the legal tangle-up surrounding the Bond film rights at the time did not allow that to happen, but this animated series went through. So basically, this was really the only new piece of Bond media, um, you know, within this television realm. Uh you know, until, you know, GoldenEye hits and all that sort of stuff. So, and not, not counting the video games that we just discussed. So, um, the animated series is about Bond's nephew. <laughs> James I love how they don't even give him a son. Like, it, it, it's well, always like, oh, just his nephew. Thing, the thing is, like, it's Bond's nephew, but still called James Bond Jr. No, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like, if you look at the name, you think it's going to be about his son, but like, you can't give James Bond a son. Yeah. Like, so it's got to be his nephew. Do you think that they're in the in the conception of that? If that was a stipulation, yes, definitely. Yes. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. Did Bond cannot? You know, the only time that Bond ever been close to being a kid is in the "You Only Live Twice" novel. Where you know his, you know the the Japanese woman tricks him into thinking they were they're married and right, he's about right. to have a kid. Like, but you can't. Bond can't. Remember, I was listening to an episode and there was this one where uh, in in Quantum of Solace that Bond was gonna like find an orphan kid mm-hmm. and then like Wilson, Michael G. Wilson said no because Bond can't abandon the kid and we're not gonna have the kid in the next movie. So well, see, but that's an interesting thing though because. If you give him a kid, then you're automatically tethered to that. Yeah. Because if you move away from, like, that he's not, that he has a kid out there that he is neglecting, then it instantly makes him unlikable. Yeah. But if you give him a nephew, like, that nephew has his own parents. Yeah. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, and this was a fully licensed show, so uh-huh. uh, Eon... Wait, but who, wait, his nephew, who, so... Wait, no, that opens up like wait. That opens who's up his, a whole lot of questions. Who's his sister? <laughs> like what? Yeah. Um listen, this is the nineties kid show. Got there's, it, got it. No, no, no. There, I shouldn't question it. There's there's this is his nephew. Okay, right, nephew. Uh so he he's uh, he tends a prep school called Warfield Academy. Okay. Uh and he has his two best friends, IQ, uh, the grandson of Q. Uh, and Gordel Leiter, who is the son of Felix. So Felix has a kid. Bond can't have a kid, but Felix has a son. Right. Well, you know, Felix is, you know, he, you know, he, he, he seems like a responsible uh, guy. And while, you know, while trying to handle the school life, mm-hmm. they're also fighting the evil terrorist organization Scum, the saboteurs and criminals united in mayhem. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm, I'm pulling out my phone so I can like put an image to yeah. to what we're talking about. Yeah. Um. Oh my God. Okay. Oh no. All right, you're gonna describe what you oh, see. Oh no. Oh, it looks. So, oh my God. It so it's like, 
it's like from that era of because this came out in just the date again was September ninety one was the first nine, episode, so yeah. it's developed throughout ninety one. Yeah, ninety one. And this was one of those shows, by the way, which a lot of animated shows did at the time. A lot of children's shows did, where they basically were like, "We're just ordering a base like sixty five episodes." So it's not like seasons. They basically like we're we're making sixty five episodes of this thing. Once we air all of them, that's it. This looks so much. This is so telling. Like just the, the like the poster is so telling of what this show is. Like it, it's oh, yeah. it's definitely from that era of like Captain Planet looking animation. Like it, it's like that type of looking like thing. But when you look at it, it's like so James Bond Jr. Or what I'm looking at is all right. So there's this what I believe they think is a cute approximation of what a revamped version of the James Bond logo would be like. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of those. It says James. Bond because Bond is like is like the big what the eye is drawn to Junior. It has like a little silhouette of James Bond Junior running in a in a uh, crosshairs. So I guess that's like their little James Bond like down the gun barrel thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the kid who I'm assuming is James Bond Junior right up at the front is just this like punk looking kid wearing like a tan jacket, a red shirt, and jeans. Yeah, and like. What about this is James Bond? And then, like, you see the villains in the background, and one has one guy has a metal hand, one guy has a robot mouth, this other guy looks like a Doc Ock without arms. Mm-hmm. There's a car and a scientist. Oh, there's Big Ben all the way in the corner. Yeah, there, you, you see that? There's Big Ben all the way in there, so you know yes. it's British. London. This looks so bad. This yeah. looks awful. This look. This is so like. But it's it's such a relic of of the time. Mm-hmm. Episode I, five, Goldie scam. Look at this hairdo on this lady. Look at that. She's got like that wild like nineties, like late eighties, nineties cartoon hair. Well, you know who that is. Who's that? That's Goldfinger's daughter. Gold- oh no, Goldie Finger. She's holding a brick of gold. Oh no. So I was gonna get to the rest like of our characters yes yes uh, all right go ahead so then we also have a uh there's no money penny equivalent per se but we do have a tracy milbanks um who is basically kind of like the kind of 90s cartoon uh flirt type of thing where they're not you know they're kind of like flirty but there's never really going to be any resolve to it but then we get to our villains um so the leader of scum is named scum lord uh-huh uh, of course. Oh God. Um. Uh, he basically is Blofeld, but they couldn't use Blofeld. That's basically what that is. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, uh, many of the villains of the show are original villains. Um. But there are some appearances by classic Bond characters. Uh. So Jaws is a big character within the show. So it is Jaws. Yes. Okay. Uh. Jaws is n- normally teamed up with Knickknack. They're usually a bumbling knickknacks in the show as well yes. oh my god no and, and jaws it basically they do the odd couple thing of jaws and knickknack are always together and jaws is a really big one knickknacks a really short right, one, and right. they're always like kind of bumbling through and like right. arguing with each other and stuff like that um so uh jaws and knickknack appear the most um but jaws regularly appears within this one um, but they're very much partners. Uh, I, the uh, aforementioned Goldie Finger, daughter of Goldfinger. Um, Goldfinger does appear in the show. 
um, with Oddjob, and but most of the time James Bond Jr. is actually going against uh, Gold Goldie Finger, mm-hmm. um, and Goldie Finger is Goldfinger's spoiled daughter, uh, who loves Gold as well, because she's a spoiled teenage brat. Right, of course. Um, so it is very much like branching off of all the lore yeah. of Bond, like in a very like '90s kids yes. way. Uh, yes. But that strikes me as, who is this for then? Because Bond is, maybe this is me misjudging what the appeal of Bond is, because it's not like Bond is like, but you know, but this was back in the era of like, they would take animated adaptation. I mean, there was a cartoon of Rambo for crying out loud. So it's like, so I guess it, 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 and James Bond's a little bit more broad than that. So I guess it makes some sense. Um, by the way, I gotta mention this. Oh boy! Uh, so there is a version of Doctor No in the show. Okay, but they double down. This is a '90s will. Mm-hmm. They double down on the stereotypical yes. Asian yes. themes. Yes, in which the Doctor No of the TV show has green skin and cybernetic <laughs> hands. Oh, uh, no. Has a thicker Asian accent, Asian accent, and most of his schemes involved ninjas and samurai swords. So, oh, n- oh, that's amazing! I'm looking up a picture of him, Doctor No, James Bond Jr. What? What? No way! That's no way. What he looks like, dude? He looks like an alien. He he looks like what? He looks like a he looks like a Ninja Turtles villain. He looks like you could see him in the same animation cell with, like, Krang. Yeah. Like, look at that. There's a very Mandarin vibe oh to him going god. on right there. Oh, my God. Okay, dude, because because we're talking about a 90s show, I have to do this because there's a, there's a break in the action. This, I'm about to play what I believe is the James Bond Jr. theme song. Flashing between all of his hijinks. He's coming through. He's got a job to do while he rescues the girl. James Bond Jr. chases girls around the world. Okay, honestly, after hearing that, I get what they're going for. Mm-hmm. I understand. It, it, it's very much boneheaded, like you know, cash in thinking. But I get it. I, I understand. Like because if I was a kid. And that even if I had not seen James Bond movies, but I knew about the premise and like just through osmosis and culture and pop culture and whatnot, if I saw that opening segment on a Saturday morning cartoon, I would get it. I, yeah. I would get that like okay, James Bond Junior. As they say in the, he he learned it all from his uncle James. So it's yeah. actually pretty. You know what, Nick? I'm on board. I actually now I love this show. Okay. <laughs> it's actually pretty brilliant. No, it, it's oh god, that's amazing. I yes. love it. And this is the song does like he has his like girly flirts with this girl that's real relationship and she goes on with missions sometimes but there are girls 
Uh, I got to post a picture of Dr. No on like the social media sometime after when this episode airs. This is ridiculous what he looks like. (laughs) This is absurd. Yeah. And he's supposed to be like, I can only imagine like, is he supposed to be like an Asian guy? Yes. Like what? I mean, I guess like he's got like a weird little, I mean, I guess he looks like the Mandarin. Yeah. Like in the comic books. Mm -hmm. I did not see this one coming. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, but he does have yeah. Bond girls like Lada De Niro, mm-hmm. uh, Haley Comet. Oh no, 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 no! I refuse. No, I'm gonna. I'm talking like this away from the mic for the rest of the show because of that. Her name is just in case the audience didn't hear. Her name is Alada De Niro. Yeah. What? Excuse me. Excuse me. And I bet if I go onto this show, I guarantee you that all the characters are exactly portrayed in the way that i think that they are mm-hmm. that she's probably like a bougie rich kid who has no, a actually, lot of no i'm not i'm wrong uh, so she's uh she's a daughter of an archaeologist archaeologist who's in search of el dorado right city of gold okay and then she's captured by goldfinger is she rich uh she's trying to become rich because she's trying to get the lost city of gold that's a stretch. I don't like that. Like a lot of De Niro should be like, like oh, like it's yeah. like I'm the rich, posh, bougie one mm-hmm. of the school. Um, oh boy. So you also have Haley Comet, as I mentioned. Okay. Uh, whose father gets kidnapped by aliens who's <laughs> pretending to who who are scum agents pretending to be aliens. I can't. I can't do it. One more. One more. Uh, <laughs> Wendy Day, the local weather forecaster. Uh huh. Get it, Wendy Day. Yeah. Oh wait, no, you have Victoria Province, oh. uh, Mountie from Toronto. Oh no! Stop! You're torturing me. And uh, oh. yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> Haley Comet, Wendy Day, and a lot of De Niro. <laughs> this is terrible. This is awful. I love it. I love every minute of it. We need to binge it now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can uh hold on. I want to see if you can buy if it's one of those things. I think I, I think that I when I was just looking it up, I think the first episode is on YouTube yeah. actually. So we, uh, like we may have to visit this in some in some fashion. We may have So to- okay, all right. But anyway, let's talk about like so we we talked about the actual show. So this came out in early early 90s, right? So once again, is this, this is part of the big rollout with um you know the new because okay this well, this premiered when 91 91 gold golden eye comes out 95 95 yeah okay so this was so suppo- this is a very odd place for yeah, this to be put because again like in terms of their development their plan is to have you know living daylights with Disney dalton out in 87 nice as a kill 89 their plan is to have the next dalton movie the third dalton movie the one in scotland with nanomachine son uh in 91 so it would have been like okay we have the new bond movie and also like you know mgm television is producing this james bond show now i don't know if it was supposed to really match up but this is just it is kind of very oddly placed within bond history Mm -hmm. in terms of it being like again within that gap period where all you have really with bond is this james bond jr show and that one like weird video game with timothy dalton on the cover right like that's like all you have within the bondum right uh in terms of new stuff because obviously like the film stuff can't go forward and you know there's really not much you can do i'm sure movies are coming out on vhs now that home video is a thing right but, like 
you know, there's there's distribution rights issues, and there's really not much the Bond team can do about that. Right. Of course, we we got to watch it now. Yeah. You, you you got me on board. We gotta you got at me least hooked. maybe do like the first episode, first two episodes. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe all the we'll, episodes. We'll, maybe we'll maybe we'll, first three episodes. Yeah. Maybe all the episodes. We got to watch at least one episode with Goldie Finger in it. Yes. We got to do one like Goldie Finger. No, 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 no. We got to watch one with Doctor No in it because that guy. We got to we got to pick and choose. We yeah. got to like find like the ones that most relate to Bond history. I got think it. Got it. Do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So basically, those were the two major things. Um. I did want to mention some other things quickly before we kind of maybe you know get into kind of a little bit more about like the bio culture stuff. Um, obviously, there have been Bond continuation novels, um, which is a whole other topic within and of itself of just like kind of the, the novels that go off of um, Bond's, um, you know, Fleming's Bond. But there are also the novelization books uh, that they would do. So the first one being Moonraker, because that was the first movie. Sorry, Spy Who Loved Me, because that was the first movie that was very distinctly different than the Fleming book. Uh, and then Moonraker would get a subsequent adaptation, and then all the Brosnan books would get adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing as crazy as the Batman Forever adaptation, I believe, but um, you know, I think they're all pretty solid stuff. Uh, there's also a history of comic books. There's all the old school like adapting the movies into comics. Yeah. But recently, Dynamite Entertainment has again taken the Fleming verse and right. Yeah, that was uh, the biggest one I uh, remember. Uh, so they did like Bond Origins. So they do Bond in World War Two before. Uh, before Casino Royale, like kind of what leads him into MI6. And then they also have announced spinoffs of Felix Leiter and Money Penny uh, going into what Felix Leiter does at the CIA and Money Penny's more spytastic career, uh, which was inspired by this series of Money Penny spinoff books as well. Um, but uh, there's also a general merchandising aspect, which is a very interesting aspect of the franchise because right around the initial. Connery era, especially once we hit Gold Goldfinger, where the movies were really getting big, there was a lot of merchandising around that. There were Bond lunchboxes and board games and action figures, cars, you name it. There, that was you know that was like a height of like the '60s merchandising boom. Uh, it's really interesting though, because once you get to the Moore era, the merchandising is a lot less prominent Mm. within the franchise it's very much like you do have your requisite like action figures which are rare and go for a lot on ebay these days i was just looking one up where it's like uh uh spider love me one which is like uh, asian triple x and jaws for you know basically like a 100 bucks type of deal right um but there really wasn't much going on in terms of that within the more era the movies basically kind of stood on their own uh, once you get to the nineties, there's a little bit more, but it's really only recently with their, uh, with Eon's 007 store on online that really there's a back to a good amount of bond merchandise available. But even that, like the bond store is very interesting if you look into it, because it's a very interesting mixture of, of things. So there's kind of like the high, the very high end stuff on that website. Like they had this, the type of thing where they have like $300 shirts and $200 swim trunks and a really nice, you know, $200 statue of Baron Samadhi and mm. Roger Moore and live and let die. But then one of the things I do appreciate about the website is that they don't shy away from at least having something for every bond movie. Mm. Like you can basically buy a post, the, the poster of any bond movie you'd like. Like, even, like, the Dalton stuff, like License to Kill and Living Daylights. And I did find some cool, like, they have the keychains of the DB5 and the Lotus. And 
They have the, all well, the Funko Pops available on the site. And so I do find there's an interesting mix, but I also find that there's a lot of The weird... Funko Pops may be the only thing that's like the most affordable of the collectibles at yeah. this point. <laughs> well, the, the keychains aren't too bad. Yeah, the keychains, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, there's very much like the very high-end stuff on that site, which I think is very much partly how sometimes Eon views their fan base. Mm-hmm. That like there are the people that can buy $300 Thunderball swim trunks, you know? Um, right. And like, they're also in, in the realm of like, um, one of the things they just did for, uh, James Bond day, which was on the 5th of October, uh, is that they debuted the next, um, kind of film reproduction thing where they take the backgammon set from Octopussy and sell like a James Bond version of, of that set. But you can buy like a replica of Scaramanga's golden gun. Mm-hmm. You can get like different props from other parts of the movie, like other movies and stuff like that, again, on the higher end of stuff. So there's very much like definitely merch out there, but not kind of the merch that you think. Not in the same way as Godzilla. Godzilla, No, 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 no. Godzilla, you can definitely get just like, like you cannot get like just a casual Bond shirt. Like there's no shirt of like, Richard Keel as Jaws, like just being like, well, I'm you know, Jaws. It, that may lead into kind of like my general feeling about how Bond lead, how Bond lends itself into other media. So unless there's like another small piece of information, I was just going to kind of hop into gonna, that. I was going to look up the store uh, more specifically if there's anything interesting to mention, but you can go ahead. With no. So one of the interesting things about now that we have talked about how Bond has once again, it has one of the leg ups about already being in a different medium before it was in film but we've now seen it have being in video games and in um in in animation but i think both of them kind of i don't want to say highlight the limitations of bond but definitely highlight the as you said like the fan base in the t- in where in the popular culture does do it's kind of like that weird thing where it simultaneously shows how powerful the brand is within pop culture, but then also highlights for better or for worse, if for worse at all, mm-hmm. like what what a section and niche of pop culture does it fit into? Because despite James Bond having an extensive video game history, a lot of its video game history kind of seems like oh, you know, it's kind of like they just kind of plug in. Uh, the name to this concept and not in a bad way it's just James Bond has that kind of like universal video game thing of like shooting up the bad guys or like racing cars so you can just put James Bond onto it but as we've seen that you know now that you know we have less and less adaptations of movies and video games that James Bond kind of has like a harder place to find within the video game franchise after GoldenEye and you know GoldenEye I think we've kind of have established is more of a unique like kind of like lightning in a bottle situation as opposed to like oh like James Bond absolutely works for video games right and then when we talk about you know the cartoon with James Bond Jr. you know that shows and again we didn't we can't speak to the actual specifics of how it was made but it kind of shows that all right this is a way to co-opt uh, James Bond into a more family-friendly kid animation project but it turns out absolutely absurd and you know it, it almost kind of like becomes a I don't even want to say an in-name only because they're using the lore and everything, but it does come off as like so disconnected that it's not like even a true adaptation to a certain degree. Yeah. Whereas if you compare it to something like Godzilla, where I find that, 
you know, we could talk about the quality and everything. I don't think that there's nearly been like maybe a cross media phenomenon on Godzilla that like let's say Goldeneye is, but once again, that's a lightning in the bottle situation. Mm-hmm. But you you do see more of a kind of a more natural output of Godzilla yes. in other media because of the nature in which it is. It's much more acceptable to a it's much more accepting in a broad uh, fam- kid friendly nature with it being like a bunch of different wacky monsters the concept you can kind of like mold into different types of like versus type video games in a certain way if you wanted to make cartoons of it um, yeah, I mean we have Godzilla cartoons because it's like you know we have two what, of them yeah who, what what kid doesn't want to see a giant lizard do and I could giant easily, lizard you things and easily see like another one if they like wanted to yeah definitely I mean like even like in, in a way like, you know, like Toho has even tried more into the mature version of doing like the anime version but um and, and i also think that a lot of especially both the video game stuff and uh obviously and the godzilla stuff risk too but it's like it's also kind of hard where it's like if they wanted to do a new animated show sure like they you could easily see a new animated show within the realm of the legendary verse like yes. if there's like a movie that like you could do with all the monsters roaming the world and they like every episode they discover another titan yeah with like, like monarch and yeah. things like that Easy. absolutely Whereas yeah. like could you imagine if someone went to eon today to pitch james bond no. jr Couldn't there's imagine absolutely it. no way no there's absolutely no way because the bond franchise I think there is a very interesting aspect of this where it's like, and the video games are very much like this too, where it's like, you know, the first, like that first arrow is basically like, ah, like these are video games, just do something with them. Goldeneye becomes its own little weird thing because that's also in an era where Eon's still in flux with its own filmmaking and, you know, Goldeneye is supposed to be this big comeback into kind of like the heyday of, you know, EA's like making their original stuff into like Activision. All they've done was a quantum assault, like, you know, an adaptation a remake and the kind of 50 celebration thing where it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, and like that was right at that era too, where the, you know, we mentioned it, that the video game movie adaptation basically died, died to death. Mm -hmm. And now it's very much like where does bond kind of have that pop? Because bond becomes a very very specific thing in that it very much is like the movies. And that's kind of what that tends to kind of view and be. And it's like, you know, there really isn't much else, you know, right now that they're that, you know, they seem to be doing to, like, get that wider breath out there. Well, it seems here, like it, they're very much like they've doubled down on kind of it being the specific movies and then the merchandise that is available is very specific as well. Well, here's the thing about the franchise that I think affects. I don't even want to say it limits, but it does affect its mul- its multimedia accessibility and it's like malleability is yeah. that a it's not an overtly kid-friendly property. Yes. That that definitely mm-hmm. like affects it, which is fine. That's not inherently yeah. bad, but it, it it's not overtly a kid-friendly property. And at the same time, there is se- there does seem to be a hesitation to be very malleable with the property as yeah. well. And I also do feel like there is a very much a distinctive difference within the era that we are in with Bond right now, because the other aspect of it to consider in terms of that wider pop culture aspect is that not only is it yes you're right it is very much not necessarily a kid-friendly franchise um and you know it's had so long of a history too um but differently in the godzilla where it doesn't have those immediate monsters but i do think that there's an aspect of where the franchise is now and how seriously it's taken itself mm-hmm. that kind of makes it a little bit different because right. 
if you had like if you were in that realm of the ridiculousness if we were making movies of the ridiculousness of like die another day or like kind of the comedy aspect of the end of the more era mm-hmm. like you could easily see more like toys or more like you could kind of see that a little bit more like oh here's our gadgets and stuff like that right whereas like because the franchise has kind of taken this kind of more serious turn and that like going back to the video game thing i mean it's like the thing the fact is is like that craig remake of goldeneye is very much like well they've had to tone down certain aspects of it because the whole you know the whole thing about the interviews at the time was like well we need to make it fit within the Craig world right and we need right to do that so kind of the little that like absurdity of Goldeneye is kind of toned down a little bit not too much because you have to still match to the movie but there is that aspect of like even stuff like Bloodstone um, is a much more kind of down the earth game and like that's kind of what makes 007 Legends a little bit fun is mm-hmm. you do have you know, kind of Bond going into space to fight, you know, Drax and Moonraker, and you have like kind of the 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 bigness of you know the Fort Knox fight at Gold Gold uh, Goldfinger, mm-hmm. and so just because like kind of Spectre, you know, kind of has a little bit of bigness, but it's there's really not that aspect of it, so it's kind of harder, even even more so, to really put God, you know, especially Craig's Bond, but the Bond franchise where it is a whole into other stuff because there is kind of a real down-the-earth nature of it that makes it you know there's certain things you can do but it just doesn't lend itself to being like a lot of immediate things well, you can do because the, the, here's the thing about it is that let's here's the here's the honest thing when i th- listen to the making of goldeneye as much as like all the other elements of goldeneye may be great the one big element that i always say is makes it the most lasting thing that at least all everybody i know talks about is the multiplayer mm-hmm. and it and it's funny to hear that the multiplayer is it's kind of become famous for a thing that was added at the last minute yeah essentially at the last minute yeah so it's kind of like that's why it's more of a lightning in a bottle situation and then the rest of the bond video games have just kind of become generic uh, third to first person shooters of you going around doing generic action missions. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, there's no reason why it, it can't necessarily be good. Like, you could imagine a world in which you have the Arkham games of the Batman movies, but for Bond. Yeah. Like, you could do that. And, you know, I mean, but again, it comes down to that malle- about how malleable do you want to be with the property. If you're going to make a game... And here's the big thing with gamers, unless you're going to really nail down like how to make the mechanic of just a normal guy doing normal action movie things, like yeah. the best game, and it's hard. Because the thing about what makes, like, let's say, an Arkham game so much fun is because you're Batman and you got like everything but the kitchen sink at your disposal, and you have such colorful characters and you're in the Batman world, and that's kind of in the mechanics of the fighting make it fun. With James Bond, is it just going to be you going around and you know, judo chopping people but and then like shooting is, them. Like it's an like, aspect of Goldeneye though. Um, is that like the Goldeneye, you know, the rare Goldeneye game still involves the gadgets. Yeah. It still like involves like the watch and the watch laser yeah. and like even simple stuff like that just really puts you into that world of bond. Right. And like, again, the Craig movies don't have that aspect. So it's hard to kind of, you know, make that, 
you know make that a thing. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. It's the, like it's even hard. The, even that Brosnan trilogy, they have their own gadgets and stuff like that 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 make things work. I I just think it's hard nowadays to like just settle on to that realism that they've committed themselves to in the Craig movies and then transfer over into a video game medium yeah. in a very meaningful way. I think like you know there's already kind of like an ennui about all the uh, you know just about games that involve like stealth and shooting in the first place. So it's like that's why you really need to do something I think unique and I think that's the struggle that's the hurdle that I think that Bond is going to kind of cross if they want to continue into the medium of video games and then as for the cartoon stuff there's no way like there's no way in this day and age there's no way and I don't know if that is even like a a demand or like it because I do think like there may even be an audience where you could do like a fun James Bond cartoon you're gonna get all your fanboys who hate that they're doing it. Like you're like, gonna get all the people who hate that She-Ra is a thing. Like you're gonna get like those type of people yeah. who are mad. I mean, the only way, like, and this isn't this is nowhere close to James Bond Jr. But the only and we've we I think we mentioned this once. The only way you would ever do anything animated within Bond is if you did something like the animated. I was I was gonna say that we've talked about <laughs> yeah. this before. That's why I was like, did we talk about this? We've before? talked Cause... about this once where. Where if you did something where you basically did like a bunch of like anthology, like little yeah. short Bond stories. Which I would welcome. I, would I welcome. think that would be something that is semi-realistic, um, especially if you put it on like, you know, if they did it like on the Showtime or something. Or, like, yes. or Amazon where that was like an Amazon exclusive, like here's like basically a half hour of, of James Bond related shorts and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I think that would be interesting, but that's the only way you're going to get away with different it. Different artists doing yeah. like different different James Bond stories. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you couldn't, you could never do it. And, and it's funny because... I don't know. I think is that more of an Eon thing because I don't know if that is like if that is like an audience thing or a like you could find like a home because you could easily find a home. Oh, absolutely. For but I'm not even saying the anime. Like I think the the animatrix for James Bond is something that like you could easily get made and yeah. I could for like see that Eon would be on board yeah. with doing. But like let's say I feel like. If Eon was on board and you just forget what the audience has to say and you just let the work speak for itself, like you could make like a fun James Bond animated cartoon. Yeah. Like you could find a home for that easily. Yeah. yeah. Netflix would pick that up in a flash. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I and I think you could do it in a fun way. And I, I, I feel like it could be one of those things where everybody would be mad that it's a thing, but it could find if done well. Yeah. But that is mostly everything. All right. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well that's I have uh, one more question for you. All. Oh yeah, who's you, Harrison Ford in these? <laughs> do you want these two hundred and forty-five dollar Moonraker swim trunks? Um, let me see these. I like the design. I I definitely do. Um, but I'm not buying them for two hundred and four. Well, they are swim trunks, I suppose. Yeah, they're like um, nice swim trunks. Do they dry quickly? I don't. I don't know. What's so special about? I have them? no idea. If they dried What's, instantly, then. I still wouldn't buy them, but I would at least understand why they are expensive. There's also that's still way really, too much money to spend for. There's this trunks. really weird set of merchandise on this site where it's like reproductions of Bond's like shirts. Like here's like here's a reproduction of the shirt that Connery wore in Diamonds Are Forever, and like I like that shirt though. Uh, here's Bond's robe from from Doctor No. How much are these things? That the robe is three hundred dollars. That's just too much money to spend on a robe. I'm I sorry. Know. Now you can get. This uh, San Monique shirt uh, from Live and Let Die. That's and fun. That one's only twenty five dollars. All right, that, see that that's a price point I can get. You behind. can also get the Dove pin from <laughs> uh, from For Your Eyes. Uh, you only no, it is For Your Eyes only. 
I love uh, how you're looking at it and you still get the yeah, names mixed um, up. But there's other cool stuff in here. You can get some lighters. Yeah. Hey, you like lighters? Well, no, I, I have one. I have one lighter. So, what is your ultimate like now that you've kind of like gone through and looked up like James Bond and its potential in other media? Like, what what are your thoughts about it as we wrap up? Um, I think that it's very interesting that. It's. I think what's most interesting about it is that everything like there's there's nothing like very recent we've talked about. The most recent thing that's happened are those Dynamite comics, which were announced with 2017 and 2018, and I haven't really heard much about them. But really, like there's not much of like outside media happening right now with Bond. Like even like recent like it's. I think it's been a while since we've had like any continuation novels on the Fleming side of things. You know, like that last video, it's been, what I said, seven years since the last video game came out. Um, obviously, the cartoon was its own thing. So, it feels like it feels like it'll be very interesting to see where the franchise is in terms of that once we're done with the Craig era. And yeah. wherever that tends to go and whatever direction they tend to go in, I feel like there's a direction that you could go. It'll also be interesting to see, like, you know, really when, because we're getting towards the end of the year and um, Bond 25, uh, No Time to Die, comes out in April of next year. And I feel like it'll be interesting to see how they push that movie. Because it's also like, now we've had the sponsorship deals with Heineken and stuff. And there's all this stuff with the cars. And there's, I think there's opportunities for, mm-hmm. for like, you know, kind of... I, I think there's opportunities to continually expand the presence of, yeah. of 007. And I think... I think it's like, you know, I, you know me, I love t-shirts. I love getting t-shirts. I have too many t-shirts. I love having t-shirts that represent the things I love. And it's like, I think it's a shame that I really don't have a cool, like, 007 type of shirt mm, to, like, mm. really, like, say, like, this is neat. Like, the closest is that San Monique, which is, like, kind of a really nice little obscure little thing. Um, But, you know, at some point, like, I would like to get more Bond things. Which like, is weird because, like, I guess, like, there would be some who would argue... But I don't know anybody who would argue the fact that James Bond is a franchise above that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I don't know. Because I guess there, you could assume that some people would be like, well, James Bond's not like a Star Wars and a Marvel where they just put it puts his name on anything. I don't know anybody who looks at the James Bond franchise right. and looks at it with yeah. that much reverence well, it's just that like, it's like above it all of that. It has an incredible history. And it's like, it's not, in the past, it's not been above that. You right. know, it's like we, we talked, I talked about briefly that, like, again, the GoldenEye Thunderball era, there was merchandise up the wazoo. And, you know, there's always, you know, been kind of like toys and stuff. But as, as that series kind of got more serious, you know, it's just like that. I think kinda, that's the biggest thing. I think that in like recent right now, years, it yeah. has shot itself in the yeah. foot in terms of its potential for mm-hmm. multimedia entertainment yes. by. Mm-hmm going into this ultra serious direction I do think that and grounding everything. All right. So if besides getting this Jet Jaguar property <laughs> off the ground, yes. I think us pitching the Anabond Matrix. Yeah. Whatever we want to title it. The Anabond. Anabond. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could do especially Bon-a-may. if you if you did like a thing where you like went through like the different films and you like did a different aspect of it or something like mm-hmm. that. I yeah. think that would be really neat. Especially because you could do different eras. Like you can yeah. do like and that's a, an, an easy way, one, you know, yeah. an easy way like you don't even have to involve like, you know, some of them can be bond related and some of them can be maybe about the villain or the bond girl or something like that. That's true. I'm sure there's some like likenesses you could get. I think I it like would be this. a lot of fun. I like this idea. Cool. But I think there's I think there's potential. I think there's potential to continue expanding. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I 
do need to eventually get one of those Bond Funko Pops. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Can I come up from the water? Yeah. Have we done? <gasps> another deep dive in the tanks, Nick. But I think we found out that we do need to do another another deep dive of some sort. Maybe that could be our bonus episode for the month. Like at the end of the month, maybe? Who for knows? what? For James Bond Jr. You can't like, do James Bond Jr. Got ho- that's not a Halloween episode. But you can't like, do kinda, that. It's like, like terrifying. It- <laughs> you know what would be a good episode to do? Double. Uh, you know what we could do? Double feature of the James Bond of the of the of the James Bond Jr. and the Hanna Barbera James uh, Godzilla cartoon with Godzuki. Okay, <laughs> that would be fun. We're gonna save no- the '98 show for yeah. another day. <laughs> Um, yeah, because that that one's not as absurd, yeah. I don't think. All right. Well, anyway, all right. I think that I think that covers yeah. um, our James Bond in other media deep dive episode. Thank you, everybody, a lot of fun. Uh, for listening. Um, and for the episode that inspired James Bond going into other media uh, medias, um, in terms of James Bond reaching out into the world of pop culture, uh, we have just done our most recent uh, James Bond film with austin powers which has been a very popular episode so thank you guys for listening yeah um it it, it was it was fun to watch and and all of you would be glad to know i don't know if nick knows this yet i think you do is that we are now the proud owners of all three of the austin powers films did buy all i had to after talking about it i was just so so and it's not that it's not that it's not a big of a purchase i mean i still need to buy who framed roger rabbit yeah it's it's your favorite movie just buy it i know just buy it i know you got the money just buy it all right everybody well uh you know where to find us nick has plugged away many times in other episodes so until then i'm will i'm nick and take care